What do we as therapists do more than anything else? Probably ask questions. Do we ever take the time to really look at the fundamentals of what makes a good question or not so good question? Dr. James Hawkins has been doing some research. We're excited to share some of it with you today. What makes a good question? Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. All right, so indeed, we are glad to be here with you. But before I jump into the topic, Ryan, I think... You know, we've just come off of doing two episodes about positive, and the last one we talked about was that we want to even help our clients put words to these good places, these places they've disowned. And I guess I'm saying that because I want to take a moment, and, you know, we've been touched. Like, you and I got to talk yesterday, and we were just kind of sharing stories of when we've been in different trainings, and people are talking about, you know, how this podcast has helped them. And it hit us. During this time of COVID, you know, we've been in for a long time now. It's great. We, we've, we've done a great job of, and we probably need to do even do better, celebrating our nurses and doctors and the different people out there and first responders. But, you know, I haven't heard a lot about therapists. And that's okay because what we do is confidential. It's kind of unseen but necessary, right? But we want to celebrate you and really say thank you for you, what you do, how you've carried your client's stories. And when even when COVID heightened people's distress and anxiety, uh, many of you as therapists kept clocking hours. You adjusted to COVID. You learned telehealth. You did all the things to learn how to still keep working with people in distress. And Ryan and I are honored. It's not really about us. We're honored that somehow we helped be kind of like that supply chain behind the battle lines to keep you on the battle lines fighting for people in connection in relational distress. I agree. Thank you for your work. You're appreciated. Uh, our work can be thankless and secretive. And uh, man, your work matters. We want to say we appreciate the work that you're doing, whether you're doing one client a week or 30, uh, whether you're feeling like you're having success or whether you're really feeling lost. If you're showing up with your heart and loving people well, you are making a difference. We want to say thank you for that and that it really matters. And uh, maybe there's someone who needs to hear that, but your, your work matters and it affects generations that, that maybe you will never even see. So I appreciate you answering whatever call it is on your life to, mm. uh, to do the work that you're doing. And, and we want you to know we, we appreciate it. All right. So with that, you know, <clears throat> we've definitely done some big topics on this podcast that, you know, some of you have said have been career changing. Today, I'm going to do one, so this question about, you know, what makes a good question? Something that's a little bit lighter. But I was sitting around listening to a TED Talk with my wife, and the, 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 the concept of the TED Talk was the power of a good question. And because I kind of live, eat, sleep and, sleep, and breathe this therapy and EFT training, um, I, I started thinking about what about us? What makes a good question for us as EFT therapists? And this might not be rocket science, but once again, we just want to help push the leading edge of a, a, a very simple skill in, that we use in EFT. So one thing I think about, and I'll talk about in a couple bullet points, what makes a good question? There are two that really stick out to me. Um, a good question in EFT promotes exploration. 
It promotes exploration. It helps the client reflect on their inner world, their experience in their relationship. It helps them to explore. But not only the other part, so it helps them explore, but it also invites them into an experience of themselves. It, it, it takes them down into their body. It takes them into their memories. It takes them into their joys. You know, I like in our attachment history, we typically ask, you know, not only do we ask who was a safe attachment figure for you, but we'll then ask what made them. Like when you think about that person, what is it about them? Can you hear their voice even now? Can you see their face even now? What is it about that person that made them a safe attachment figure, right? We, we want our questions to invite you into experiencing your world. And then we as the, the therapists are on the outside. We take it in and help reflect your world back to you as you explore it. Another good part I think about when I think about questions, Ryan, another, a big bullet here for me is also they have good timing. Questions need to have good timing. And what do I mean by that? There's a time in the work where we do need to do, as we talk about with our, our one of our mentors, George Fowler, Coco, right? There is that part where we want to co-create meaning. So we do need to do some cognitive exploration to understand some practical things, to understand their cycle, the moves they make, what are the triggers there? But also, well, there's a time when we need to shift out of those kind of cognitive questions. And it's sometimes when our client is in their experience, it's alive and up and running, I'm probably going to suspend my questions in a certain way at that moment. Or if I use a question, it's going to be an EFT, what we call an evocative question. The question is not about the answer, but the question is meant to evoke more emotion within you. So those are, those are three standout bullets I had about, you know, question is it promotes exploration. It promotes experience. And a good question is well-timed or in EFT, the word we would use is it's attuned. It's attuned to the current experience of the client. What's coming up for you, Ryan, when you think about, you know, definitely you've done a lot of supervision when you think about this term of questions. I think, no, I think it's an under-discussed area. I think your your conversation on this is more developed than mine. I mean, I got a couple of things I can throw out there, but nothing. I'd like to, I want to, uh, I want you to define that last one more, though. Which one? How do you know if a question is attuned or not? Got you. Good one. Um, so thank you, Ryan. That, that was a good question, by the way, <laughs> I think. Um, so here's what, what, where it happens for me, where, where it's attuned. And you don't really exactly know. So let me make sure I make that cautionary statement. By no means are we trying to get you here. We don't want you to throw out questions. And we don't want you to get lost in trying to ask the perfect question. We want you to notice. Um, a big term we talk about is noticing if your intervention is on target and if it's not pivot. So how do you know when a question is attuned? This goes back, if you haven't, I can't remember the number now, but this also reminds me of our two paths conversation. So if a client, uh, one way I'll know if it's not attuned, and this happened to me in a live one time, they're kind of almost in the midst of their tears, and then I ask them a question, and I notice that they, they stop looking down and sobbing, and they roll their eyes up into their head, and it's like their tears went away. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm sorry. And this is what I jumped in with. I'm sorry. That question was a little bit ahead of where you are. So it was a little bit outside of what you're experiencing right now. Can I throw that question out for a moment and go back into what, right, what was going on for you in that moment? Or you kind of see a confused look on their face. They're like, huh? And that could be because a little bit like you've left them, you went too far ahead of them, or 
it's because I asked the question. This is a hard one too. I asked a question that it made sense in my head, but it, I didn't translate into a way that could be close to the client and how they might have understood the question. So I was in my own head thinking of something, but was what I was thinking close to where the client was. That's my thought on it. It's a great point. So you're really, it's a point I'll make in a moment. <laughs> you're really paying attention to levels mm-hmm. of how the how the client is taking in the conversation and your question. Mm-hmm. All right. It's a really great point. We'll talk more about that after the break. Hey, I want to put a quick plug in for ICEFT. You may or may not be familiar with that organization, but ICEFT is the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy. It's kind of our parent organization or the mothership, as we might say. This is Sue Johnson and her wonderful team of trainers, administrators who have been working since the mid 80s to bring about, um, sustain and advanced everything EFT around the world. As we say at our trainings, if you're just on a first date with EFT or just sort of uh, somewhat involved, maybe not, but if you really love EFT or EFT is your home, you should consider joining ICEFT as an organization. That's the organization that organizes our trainings. Uh, It's a great website, ICEFT.com. Their research page alone is worth a visit. You can keep up with what's going on all around the world. If there's a core skills in New Zealand, it'll be on that website. So a great opportunity to hear about our specialty trainings, addiction, uh, infidelity, um, EFIT, working with individuals. So consider checking out ICEF.com and maybe joining uh, the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy. All right. So sometimes when you're thinking about defining something, it's easy. It's easier to make a distinction of what's not a good question. So three quick points on that that I've learned. And um, I first want to confess I'm a bit of a hypocrite here because I probably used too many questions. But in the 80s, there was a movie called Short Circuit. Short Circuit. I have no idea if it was a good movie or not. I can't remember. All I know is it was about a robot. And this robot's name was Johnny Number Five. Mm-hmm. And you seen this before? Yes, I do. I love that input. <laughs> okay. Input. Need more input. Yes. yes. The, and the robot walks around just wanting data. Data becomes like its food or its oxygen, and so it's just like input, 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 input. That would be my first question. I'm sorry. That would be the first way I would define what's maybe not so good of a question. Mm. Is just endless quantities. Of the therapist asking for input, 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 mm-hmm. right? And uh, so that's my first point, and kind of the all three of these points kind of go together here. But what we don't want to do is have questions to regulate the therapist. There you go, Ryan. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to use question after question after qu- question because you feel awkward or you feel anxious or what have you, um, and because when you do that. You really lose what's great about question asking, which is experience. Correct. And uh, then it becomes more like an interrogation. Mm -hmm. Like I'm asking you questions over and over and over and over as if I'm writing up a story as opposed to being with you and and creating a new experience. So, so, you know, I was just thinking here at the break, actually, (laughs) um, what percentage of the total information – about the problem do we ever actually get, I would guess never more than 5%. Hmm. 
And we probably don't need more than that. And uh, so we don't want to ask endless number of questions or go into over-assessment, right? You know, it's sometimes we can be a little bit like a dog chasing a car. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of energy to get there, but what are you going to do when you get there? So <laughs> if we're asking assessment questions, we need to have a really good reason why. I used to work at an organization, I won't name, and I had to do a 27-page assessment before I could start. It took us two full sessions. So it was almost a month before we got to anything that mattered. And 90% of that information, nobody ever used. And so I, I think that's not the most respectful way to treat our clients and maybe not such a great use of questioning. I like that. And you know, one of the things we talk about on our other training platform, Success and Vulnerability, is that questions should be layered in in a way I think that is skillful. We elicit information to use, to, to use the information for something, right? I think is big. Um, yeah. So you got something else? Oh, you always got something else. I have too many questions. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so maybe things to to watch out for is just your quantities okay. to make sure it's not regulating you as a therapist. I'm going to give a shout out to my professor here from Searcy, Arkansas, Lou Moore. He's a great professor years ago, and we we were in practicum class, and he made us all <laughs> he made us all do a whole counseling session in five questions or less. Mm. It was a great exercise because it just showed you how anxious you are sometimes. Sometimes quantity of questions can kind of be our blankie, you know, and he's like, learn to use statements, learn to use metaphors, learn to use yourself. It's great supervision. So be careful with your numbers. Make sure you're not using quantities to regulate yourself. And secondly, don't let it become this interrogation kind of thing. Yep. Want me to keep going? You go ahead. All right. So my three, my three on the good side, uh -huh. I think you've kind of already said them. So I'm just really joining you. Here. Okay. Number one. They need to be on track towards something. We don't want to be random. Sometimes there's something to be said for, for like, I'm just sort of trying to understand the overall experience. But I think, I know for me, if I'm your client, I would, I would like to know that your questions were going somewhere with this. Right. Like in the court of law, is this random? Is this leading the witness? Like we mm -hmm. want to lead the witness to a, a, a good place. So it's staying on target. Number two is, is my weakness to make them clear and concise. Yeah, that's it. Don't question over your question or overqualify. And the last one for me is our questions need to be alive. They need to be, at least a significant percentage of them need to be evoking of the client and evoking of you. And, and thirdly, like James is saying beautifully, we need to be paying attention to the levels of their response and impact. 100% right. And I think just for me to summarize it out here and, and close this, we just want to really help you once again, like, you know, just to think about questions. And I think you caught one point is recognizing when maybe we're not using questions in a way that's most on target for our clients. And it's we're using it as a regulatory. So what would you say? Well, if I take away we this is the same thing we do with our clients, we don't take we don't want to take away your protection and not give you something. But what I've talked to one EFT therapist, we were just in the core skills and she was using a question and I could tell she was kind of using the question as a place filler. And I said, hey, and we caught, I asked, and she verified that I was nervous and I was scared to let too much of a pause. So let me give you something else to use there. And I even see George Fowler use this one. You know, he's one of our mentors and a friend and a great therapist. And so George, what he will literally do in that place is he will ask for permission. Hold on. Let me take a second to kind of get my, to, to understand here for a moment. And George will pause and like look up at the ceiling. Pauses in therapy are not indicative that you are incompetent. Mm. 
So that's what I'm getting at. I think sometimes we use questions and those things because we think that silence is indicative. It's going to send the message that a therapist is incompetent. And by the way, we're doing something different, y'all. I pulled up Facebook Live, and people are, like, watching us as we're recording the episode. Just wanted to, once again, connect with you all some more. <laughs> Ryan, nice. that line hit you when I said that. Uh, silence did, is not indicative of That's just unplanned, off script, leading edge here. I, I also learned that from George. It's a good rule of thumb. Don't don't be married to your question, you know? Oh. If you ask a question, and this happens to me all the time, um, so, you know, whatever that says about me. <laughs> but I, I ask a question, and halfway it's halfway across the room, and I instantly go, I hate that question. That's stupid. Why did I even ask that? Like, what just happened to me? I just had like a brain lapse. Mm-hmm. In the old days, the, the dark days, <laughs> I would just push that question harder. And like make it my client's problem that I ask a stupid question. Mm. And George and other people gave me permission to be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a terrible question. I, throw that out. I, that's a, that's a, a statement I say at least once or twice a week. Just like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Terrible question. Bad therapist. Throw that out. Let me reset. 100% of the time, clients giggle. And I think even appreciate it. I was going to ask you that question yeah. right there, right? Has anyone said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe my therapist can't ask perfect questions. I'm done with you. No. The opposite. Clients appreciate that. I'm just trying to get it right. Because well, guess what it shows them? You're a human being who's trying to figure the same thing out. Nice. The thing that's been perplexing me and getting me and my partner or partner stuck, it also got like it's, it's hard for you to find your words in this place versus if somehow you're this smooth, eloquent roll through everything perfectly. What does it say to them? You're a broken human being. <laughs> exactly. And if I have all my questions, just what you're saying, eloquent and timed up perfectly, it's also not modeling for them presence. Because if it's that smooth, it's almost scripted. And like I'm doing a model to them, as opposed to me kind of searching for and taking the risks with my own vulnerability. Because vulnerability, um, you know, will always be a little bit bumpy. Yep. Creativity is a process. No one just spits out a perfect piece of art. All of them are involved in a, in a learning curve. So I think that's really good. You triggered an idea. Because no, even though we have a map in general about relational health and distress, we still need to help the couple with their, we don't know their map exactly in a way, right? We're still on the process of understanding and growing with them. So of course it's gonna feel a little bit bumpy. Yeah, so anyway, you were gonna say something else there. Well, off script again. Let's do it. (laughs) I was thinking, uh, and this is just for dialogue, I'm not trying to nail this to the wall, but what are the two most important questions in EFT? If you had to say, you know, I think, and this may not be true for everyone at, at wherever stage you are in your career. But I think one of the hardest parts of being a good therapist is there's too many options. The old professor in me will come out a little bit. I I used to teach a lot that in many ways, one of the primary um, reasons that you choose a model is you need to limit your focus. In many ways, your model tells you what not to do as much as what to do, because we need defense. If you try to go for every single opening, if you chase every single lead, you will assess for 400 years. And even then you don't have enough, right? So our models are trying to narrow and help us focus on things that can bring about change. So most important questions for me, 
the trigger. Oh, <laughs> should have known that one. Was and, and the experience of attachment. So, so the the danger cue. So, in other words, when I'm in a situation, I'm like total chaos. Trigger is my friend because I have no idea what is actually going on attachment wise until I know what the danger cue is. What do you see, James? On or around Nicola's face, which tells you, uh-oh, it's not good. Like, I need to know that piece of information. And then secondly, when you're in a not-so-great space, James, and you consider the possibility of making a reach, what's that experience like for you? That would be one and two for me. What would you throw in there? Thank you for giving them these practical tools. Language is so important in EFT. Uh, so the other one, I think, for me is, and maybe you kind of asked it this one. So can I stay right here with you right now? And not that, that is a question too, but that's not the question I'm going for. It is, it is, I guess it is what you already said. And what's happening even for you right now in this space? And what I really want to be more specific, I like to add a reflection into that question. Right now, as I saw you take that deep swallow in this moment, what was happening inside of you in that moment? Actually, your body just took that deep swallow. It's an it's a it's kind of like a reflection for me and an evocative question to explore. Then, of course, what's one of our favorite questions here on the Leading Edge podcast? The million dollar question. But it isn't. It's an attachment question. Yeah. When you're in these places, or when you two try and talk about whatever the content is, when issue X comes up. What happens in your relationship? Yep. That's got to be definitely top two. <laughs> My bad. You got me there. <laughs> That's all right, man. So just I just once again, thank you all so much. And just to highlight once again, these questions really are, it's about exploration of intrapersonal experience and interpersonal experience. And we want the questions to invite you into that experience. And also it's on target with where the client is at that particular time and their level of experience. So, there are some stage one questions that I'm going to do differently or probably not ask as much in stage two. There are some things I'm asking in stage two that I'm not in one. And Cla Ryan's classic one, that he, and I think he's right, is I'm not going to really ask my clients, and so what do you need in this place when they're still in reactivity in stage one? That is a very much stage two oriented type question. And even some trainers and different people ask, do you really need to ask it so cognitively in a way in stage two? But once again, we just want to join you all and help you. And I think a big statement for me was a big part is making sure that we're not using questions as a way to regulate our distress and putting the load on the client to hold space. Like with George's, he invites himself, let me slow it down for me while I figure this out for a moment. And if any of you know George, I don't know too many clients that have said George Fowler is incompetent because he had to take a moment to figure things out. And so I think that gives us permission as well, that we don't have to really fill that space. We can take our time and slow down and reorient ourselves. So thank you all so much once again for letting us just join you even on this to push the leading edge of your learning and emotionally focused couples. listening we hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review you can contact us at push the leading edge at gmail.com and you can follow us on our facebook page at push the leading edge you can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Rayner Professional Training and on his website, RyanRaynerTraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at 
DocHawk LPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.